Amen. You may be seated. So this is my first time uh, preaching two services rather than one. And as I was chatting with Jeff about this uh, getting ready, what he said was, well, the first service, you have to be pretty careful about the time. But the second service, there's a little bit more flexibility. So buckle up, right? <laughs> All right, I don't know. Has anybody here, have you ever thought about if you could have a superpower, which superpower you would choose to have? Yeah, I think most of us have, have done that. When I was younger, this was something uh, that I used to think about sometimes. And, and when I was a kid, I thought that if I could have any superpower, the one I would want would be the power to become invisible. Invisibility, right? Any, anyone else? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, I thought invisibility would be really great. And maybe for me, it was because I was the youngest child in my family. And so I got a lot of my fun by spying on my older siblings, Right? But, and, and just in general, I thought it'd be really cool to be able to kind of sneak around and go where I wanted to go without being noticed or without getting into to any trouble. But as I've gotten older, I've had moments in my life where if I could have a superpower, the one that I would want would actually be the exact opposite. Okay? I would have the superpower where I could make people see me. And uh, I had an experience like this just a couple of weeks ago in a Tim Hortons parking lot. Uh, I was in Hamilton, I was on my way into uh, to a shift at Good Shepherd where I do some relief work, and uh, I was really craving a breakfast sandwich from Tim Hortons. You know when you just really want a breakfast sandwich from Tim Hortons? Yeah, yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, so this is where I was at, and uh, the Tim Hortons parking lot was just a mess, it was super full, the lineup was long, but I counted the cost, and I decided that it would be worth it, and so I went in and I got in line, uh, but I hadn't realized that... Um, that this was like a, a drive through lineup that had parking spots that it was kind of blocking in, you know? And there was somebody who was uh, in, a, in one of these trucks that was in one of these parking spots. And so the front of my car was blocking him so he wasn't able to get out. And, uh, and he was all ready to go. And so uh, I felt kind of bad, but there was, there was nothing I could do about it in this moment. And so um, as I was sitting there, just waiting for the line to move up so I could move forward, I could tell that this guy was getting impatient. Okay, and this is how I could tell. Because he kept backing up and then stopping. And then backing up and then stopping. And then backing up. And then he didn't act, he actually stop backing, backing up this, this final time. He, act, he just kept backing up. And, uh, and so in this moment, I did the only thing that I knew to do which was just to like lean on my horn, right? Just press into the horn. So that's what I did. Not, uh, not out of anger, just really as a way of communicating, right? Excuse me, sir. Uh, I'm, I'm here. Please don't hit me. Um, and at first I was pretty confident that this truck was going to stop. I wasn't really all that worried. But he just kept backing up and kept backing up until all of a sudden I heard that inevitable crunch right, of him hitting my bumper. And just to be honest with you about the details of the story, I had actually borrowed my mom's car. Um, so it was not, in fact, my bumper. I heard the crunch of him hitting my mom's bumper. Um, so we both got out of our vehicles. And uh, I'm going to be honest with you, I was a little bit perplexed. Right? I, I didn't really know what to say. And so I let this, this guy go first. And... Uh, and what he said, he kind of changed the way the story played in my mind. I thought he'd hit me because he was 
mad. Um, but he said, you know, I'm so sorry. I was just so focused on that blue car ahead of you that I didn't even realize you were there. And he'd, he'd gotten frustrated because there was a blue car ahead of me and he, he thought if it moved up, he'd be able to back out, which would have been true until I arrived. Uh, but but he, it, it took up all of his attention, all of his focus. So he didn't even uh, notice that I was there, right? And so after he told me this, I didn't, I didn't really have words still. I didn't know what to say, but I knew that it was my turn to talk in this conversation. And so I opened my mouth and uh, what came out was this. I was hoping you would hear my horn. And he said, I didn't. And I said, I know. Okay. And so we, we kind of went uh, from there. But in all honesty, I couldn't even really be mad at this guy. Okay, because I know what it's like to be so caught up, to be so distracted by something that I lose the bigger picture of what's going on around me. I do it all the time. And throughout Advent this year, here at Evergreen, we're focusing on God's presence. Right, when Jesus came into the world, God's presence became available to us in a whole new way. Right, God is with us every moment of every day. He's present to us. But so often, we're so distracted by what we've got going on, by our situations or things that are kind of drawing in our attention, that we don't even notice that he's there. Right? And we live in a culture that really values busyness. Right? Think about the last time somebody asked you how you were doing. What did you say? Some of you, a lot of you, I bet, said, busy, right? The, the standard answer to this question, it used to be good. I think in our culture, it's actually kind of shifting. More and more, I hear people answering this question by saying, busy. We've got jobs, right? We've got kids in school. We've got volunteer commitments. We've got errands to run. We've got emails to respond to. We've got laundry to do and garbage to take out. There's so much to do, and there's so much little time. And we aren't just busy with things that actually matter. The truth is that we also live in a culture where we're very distracted. Everywhere we turn, there's something or someone that's competing for our attention. Most of us fill every spare moment that we have with our smartphones. When we're standing in line at the grocery store, Right? We pull out our phone and we see what's going on on Instagram. Right? When we're waiting for a meeting to start, we pull out our phone and we see who's fighting on Twitter. Even when we're having conversations, maybe around the dinner table with people that we care about, when there's a lull in conversation, I know that many of you here are guilty of it and so have I, there's times where sometimes we pull out our smartphone, right? We're addicted to these things. They take up so much of our time. And with all of this busyness in our lives and all of the distractions that we're constantly facing, it's really difficult for us to live with this deep awareness of God's presence. And um, I know that some of you are sitting here this morning and uh, you're feeling like you're off the hook. Okay, because you still have a flip phone, 
and you don't even know what a Twitter is. But there's this book that I've come across recently. It's, it's called Walden. It's written by Henry David Thoreau. Maybe some of you have heard of it. And this book was written in 1854. And in this book, Thoreau talks about two years that he spent living in the woods, like far away from anyone else in a cabin that he had built uh, for himself. And he was in the woods because he wanted to get away up from all of the busyness and chaos of civilized society. In 1854, what were they doing? I have no idea. But Thoreau talks about things being so busy and everyone being so distracted that they lose their sense of purpose, right? They lose their sense of connection in their lives. I'm only on uh, page five. I'm going to be fully honest with you. I've been on page five for a little while. But, uh, but so far, this is my favorite quote from the book. I've got to share this with you, okay? He's talking about all of the busyness that he sees all around him. And he says, I see young men, my townsmen, whose misfortune it is to have inherited farms, houses, barns, cattle, and farming tools. For these are more easily acquired than got rid of. Better if they had been born in the open pasture and suckled by a wolf that they might have seen with clearer eyes what field they were called to labor. This was a culture, this was a society where inheriting a farm would have been like hitting the jackpot. But Thoreau saw the way that people became so obsessed with their work that they couldn't experience those things about our lives that really give them meaning. They couldn't experience the things that matter the most. And so he says that it would be better to be born in a field and nursed by wolves. Passion or a drama queen? I'll let you decide. Okay, but he raises a good point. Technology has made it really easy for us to waste our time with distractions. But we don't need technology to lose sight of what matters and to lose focus on our purpose and what is meaningful in our lives. Whether we're distracted by our iPhone or by our work or by our own thoughts or by like, I don't know, like an obsession with bird watching, whatever it is, okay, the outcome is the same. We lose sight of what matters, and we struggle to live with this awareness awareness of God's presence. Last week, Pastor Jeff uh, walked through the overarching story of the entire Bible, and we looked at how central this theme of God's presence is throughout the entire thing. And you may remember last weekend was a little bit icy, uh, so some of you didn't make it into church, but if you, if you missed it, make sure you go back and check it out online because it provides a lot of uh, context for our, our series um, this month. But all the way back in Genesis, um, God created human beings and he created them to live in his direct presence. This is what we were made for, to live in God's perfect presence. But then in Genesis 3, what happened? Some really tempting fruit, right? Sin entered the world. And from that time on, there's been this separation between God and human beings. Throughout the entire Old Testament, we see this constant struggle for the Israelites, for God's chosen people to be faithful to God. Right? But ultimately, 
They can't do it. They keep failing, right? And so uh, they end up conquered. They end up scattered. Things don't go well for them. And their hope ends up being banked on this promise of a coming Messiah, right? They're they're promised by the prophets that there's going to be a Messiah who would come and who would set things right. And so they're waiting and they're waiting for the arrival of this Messiah. Um, In in our Bibles, the last last book of the Old Testament is called Malachi, right? It's one of the minor prophets. And in, in your Bible, unless you have some additional notes or commentary, there's one page between the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew, where Jesus kind of bursts onto the scene. But that one page actually represents about 400 years. There were 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament, when we have no record of God speaking to to humanity or moving in the lives of God's chosen people, the Israelites. For 400 years, the Israelites were waiting for God to speak, waiting for God to move, waiting for the Messiah to come and to finally set things right again. 400 years. Like, that's a long time. Guys, I start to lose hope when I don't get my Amazon packages within like two days. You feel me? But then... Christmas happens. Then Jesus is born. No longer was God's presence this distant, mysterious thing. God walked and he talked with people. He shared meals with people and he showed them what the kingdom of God was all about. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. But if we're honest, even though we may sing the Christmas carols, about Emmanuel, and we might talk about Jesus coming into the world and this little tiny baby. If we're honest, there's often like this massive gap that we feel between this historical event of Jesus coming into the world and our lives in our culture and our time in history today. It can feel like there's this really big gap. But Jesus didn't just come into the world to be with a select group of people for the 33 years that he walked the earth. Christmas is uh, an event in history, right? But it's a historical event that changed the entire world forever. It changed the way that we're able to experience God's presence. It's now open to us in this whole new way. And that's like here, like now, today. And so it might seem um, kind of funny to to look at this passage in an Advent series, but this morning we're not going to look at uh, the story of Mary and Joseph and and baby Jesus. We're going to actually look at a passage about a couple um, that was walking uh, back to their hometown from Jerusalem after Jesus' crucifixion, and they were trying to make sense of what happened. They're trying to figure out how they could carry on now that Jesus wasn't with them. So if you have your Bible, you can open up uh, with me. We're going to be looking at Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. It's also going to come up on the screen. Oh, I'm just going to grab my water. 
Luke 24, 13 to 35. So yeah, I'm going to read from the NIV. It says, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So we hear about this couple, and uh, we will later, later find out in the next couple of verses that one of the, like the man is named Cleopas, and scholars think that the other person with him was Mary, who was his wife. In the book of John, we hear about this couple named Cleopas and Mary. So this is who, uh, who we're talking about, and they're walking to a place called Emmaus after Jesus' crucifixion. Okay, and the first thing to notice is that they're going in the wrong direction, because the entire gospel of Luke throughout the entire gospel, that Jesus and his disciples are moving towards Jerusalem, where Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection happen. Jerusalem is the center of what God is doing, right? But they're walking home defeated because of what's just happened, right? They're giving up. And as they're uh, walking home, they're trying to wrap their heads around everything that's just happened. Um, they've they, they had no idea how they could make sense of this, this crucified Messiah, right? And then Jesus comes along with them and he starts walking with them. But they don't notice that it's him. Let's keep going. We're going to look at verse 17. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? So Jesus goes up to this couple and he says, what are you guys talking about? Right? And they're like, they stop. They're shocked. Their jaws drop because everybody knew what just happened in Jerusalem. Everybody knew about Jesus. Everybody knew about the crucifixion. Right? So they couldn't, they couldn't figure out how this guy didn't know what was going on. But Jesus continues, right? He continues to press them. So, so uh, verse 19, he says, what things, uh, he asked. Um, and then they respond, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was going to be the one who was going to redeem Israel. That's important. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of us, our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. So this couple had been followers of Jesus, and they'd come to bank their hope on the fact that Jesus was the Messiah that the Jewish people had been waiting for to come and set things right. But then he was crucified. And as far as they were concerned, as far as anybody in this culture would have been concerned, all hope was dissipated, right? 
The Messiah wasn't supposed to be crucified. The Jewish people had developed this framework that shaped their understanding of what the Messiah would do and what redemption would look like. The Messiah was supposed to be a warrior, right? This was supposed to be a king who was gonna defeat Rome and who was gonna put Israel back into a position of power. That was what redemption was supposed to look like as far as the Jewish people were concerned. That was who the Messiah was supposed to be. They had this massive misunderstanding about the kind of story that God was inviting them into. Let's look at verse 25. Jesus responds, he said to them, how foolish you are. Now that's probably not the best way to make new friends if you just kind of meet them out on the street, uh, but it's Jesus, so he can... He can correct them. And really what what he's saying there, the word is like how ignorant you are. He's pointing out that they just don't get it. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus goes back to the very beginning and he walks them through the entire Old Testament. He takes them through all of the history of the Israelites, and he shows them how this whole thing that God has been doing has actually been pointing towards him. He was, in fact, the Messiah that they'd been hoping for, who was going to bring freedom and peace. But it was just that it was going to look entirely different than how they'd kind of painted it, than what they were expecting. Uh, Let's look at verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. So they hit their exit, right? They get to Emmaus, and Jesus acts like he's going to keep walking. I don't know if he's like messing with them or what. But he, he waits for the invitation. And I think that's important. He doesn't force himself. He waits for the invitation. And this couple invite him to come and to stay with them. Right? In our culture, this would have been pretty weird. We don't just meet people out on Oak Street and invite them to come and, and stay with us. But on these kinds of journeys, this kind of hospitality would have been really normal. It would have been almost like a social expectation. So Jesus goes to stay with them. And then let's look ahead at verse 30. This is really important. This is awesome. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. There is a lot going on in these verses. All right, so we're going to unpack it a little bit. So up to this point... This couple still has no idea that they've been having a conversation with Jesus. Jesus has given them a new understanding for the way that they kind of looked at scriptures. He's helped them to reframe their story to line up with the truth of who God is and his plans for the redemption of Israel and the world. But having a correct understanding of the truth isn't enough. When they sit down around the table together, Jesus takes on the role of host. And it's not until they're sitting together in this intimate space 
face to face with Jesus, that they actually recognize him for who he really is. And there are a couple of deeper layers going on here too that we're gonna look at. When Jesus uh, takes the bread and he breaks it and he gives thanks and he gives it to his friends, the words that Luke uses in this passage here are the exact same words that he used back in chapter 22 when Jesus was having the last supper with his disciples. And so he's pointing this couple back to this symbol, right, of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and the freedom that that would bring. On the cross, Jesus overcame the power of sin and death and evil, right? And he opened up the doors so that humanity could once again live at peace with God, could be reconciled to God and to live in his presence, in the Jewish temple, there was a room called the Holy Holies. Maybe, uh, maybe some of you have heard of this. The Holy of Holies was uh, the place in the temple where God's presence actually dwelt. Only the high priest could ever enter the Holy of Holies. And even the high priest only em- entered the Holy of Holies on one day every year, on the Day of Atonement. But when Jesus dies on the cross, Luke tells us that the curtain that separated this space in the temple was torn into two, which represented this reality that God's presence was now available to everyone. And so this is what Jesus is inviting this couple into, right? This is more than just an ordinary snack. Right, this is really powerful. And there's another layer going on here as well. Okay, so think back all the way to Genesis. Genesis uh, chapter three, when Adam and Eve Eve sinned, right after they'd eaten the, the fruit, scripture tells us that their eyes were opened. That's what it says. Their eyes were opened to sin and to shame. And because of this, right, there was this separation that had to happen between human beings and, and God. And then look at our passage here. When Jesus breaks the bread and he gives it to these people, what does it tell us? Their eyes were opened. Their eyes are opened to the reality of who Jesus is, their Messiah, their Savior. And ultimately, he's the one who reverses the impact, the consequences of the fall. Right? And you thought that they were just sitting around the dinner table like any other evening. Right? There's a lot that's going on in this passage. And as soon as they recognize Jesus, he disappears. Now, you would think that that would be pretty frustrating. Right? The moment that they get it, the moment that they realize they're sitting with their friend and their savior, he's gone. But look at verse 32. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he walked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So Jesus disappears but this couple isn't faced, right? Because their hope has been restored. They know who Jesus is, 
They understand the story that God's inviting them to be a part of. And so they run back to Jerusalem, right back to the center of activity of what God was doing. And they start sharing stories with the rest of the disciples about these experiences that they've had with the risen Christ. Jesus was a very different Messiah than what the Jewish people had been expecting. Right? The Jewish people had their hope banked on this idea of a king who would defeat their enemies and who would bring them power. That's what they thought their story was all about. That's what they thought was going to give them value. That's where they thought they'd find their freedom and their peace. That's what success looked like to them. But they'd gotten the story wrong. And in the world that we live in, it's really easy for us to get the story wrong too. Some of us try to find our purpose in getting ahead in our careers, right? So we put all our time and our energy into that. Some of us are constantly trying to earn approval from other people, right? And that's where we think we're going to find our value. Some of us chase after money or stuff, right? Power, popularity, Whatever it may be, there's all these things we chase after trying to find our identity and our purpose and our value and our worth, and they come to shape the way that we live every day, right? But they're the wrong story. We talked earlier about how busy and distracted most of us feel a lot of the time. If you were to take an honest look at the things that are filling up your schedule, what do they tell you about what matters most in your life? What kind of story is it that you're living? The story that we're invited into is the story of a restored relationship with God. It's a story of our redemption, of reconciliation with the God who made us through Jesus Christ. Everything that we do as followers of Jesus flows out of that relationship. It's where we find our hope. It's where we find our purpose, our identity. They're all found in Jesus. And when we get the story right, right, when we put Jesus at the center, everything else kind of just falls into place. After this uh, couple meets up with the rest of the disciples, Jesus shows up to the entire group and he kind of freaks them out a little bit and then he asks them for a snack. Well-deserved, right? He's died and raised from the dead. He's probably a little bit hungry. And then he tells them what things are gonna look like as they move forward. He, he calls them to be his witnesses in the world, to continue the work that he'd been doing. Right? But he doesn't leave them to do it on, on their own. He makes them a promise. He promises that he's going to send them the Holy Spirit, right? that, that this Holy Spirit, that God's presence would be with them to empower them in all of this as they represent God's kingdom here on earth. And this is our reality. This is our part of the story. This is where we're living. As followers of Christ, we have God's Holy Spirit living in us. Think about that. God's presence is living in you. God's presence is living in me. God's presence living in us. Right? That's incredibly powerful. 
And Jesus taught us when he was here about the kingdom of God. He showed us what it looked like. And throughout the rest of scriptures, we kind of get this picture of how our lives should take shape as we work that out in our day-to-day lives. But often we get so caught up trying to figure that out on our own. We like read our Bibles and then we, we try to figure out what we need to do to live out the kingdom that we lose sight of the fact that the spirit is actually with us empowering, empowering us to live it out. Right? God's kingdom isn't something that we can figure out. It's not a kingdom that we can build by our own strength. It's not something that we can make happen. But we live out God's kingdom in the world as we learn to pay attention to the Holy Spirit and to be obedient to what the Spirit calls us to do in our normal, everyday lives. And what this means, coming back to our theme for the Christmas series, is that being aware of God's presence is really important. And so in a world where there are a million things competing for your attention all the time, how can you cut out some of the noise? How can you bring Jesus back to being the center of your attention? Here's the reality, okay? We won't become more aware of God's presence by accident. Not in our world, okay? We're not gonna just stumble into this. But there are actual changes that we can make to our lives, to how we're spending our time. There's practices that we can do that can help us to live with this deeper awareness of God's presence every day. This is actually available to us. A couple of weeks ago at the practice, uh, the practice is uh, an evening service that we do here once a month. And the, the most recent service we had, we did spent some time reflecting on what changes we could make in our lives to kind of make some space during Advent to connect with God on a deeper level. To make some space to, to become more aware of God's presence with us. And so this morning, I want to invite you to ask yourself the same question, to spend some time in prayer around that same question. Are there some practical changes that you can make in your life that would free up some space, that would make some room to become aware of God's presence with you? For some of you, that might mean deleting social media apps from your phone. I want to get that practical. For some of you, maybe it means watching less TV. If you're like the bird watching type, like we talked about, maybe for you it means throwing away the binoculars. I don't know, whatever it means in your situation, what would it look like to make some room in your life? I'll tell you uh, what what I've done over the last couple weeks. I uh, subscribe to this service called Freedom, and what it does is it actually blocks me from accessing social media, online shopping, and news. Um, between 6 a.m. and 8 p.m. every day, right? So I'll show you what the screen looks like if I try, if I try to go to one of these sites. You're free. Go do great things. It's a good reminder, right? But there's, there's actual things that we can do. And as you free up these moments in your life, as you make space in your day-to-day life, just take those moments, take that time to center yourself in God's presence, to become aware of the fact that he's with you. Okay, this, is, uh, this has been my prayer this week. I've just been coming back to this again and again. You're here. 
right? When you walk into a room, when you're driving in your car, you can just say that, you're here. Just take every moment that you can think of to remind yourself that God is actually present with you. When you're standing in line at the grocery store, when you would have pulled out your phone and gone on to to social media, take time to become aware of God's presence. Ask God to show you his love for the people around you. Take time to look that cashier in the eye as she rings through your purchase. We can do this differently. Um, If you go to our website or stop by the Info Hub, we have a resource that we've put together as well that might be helpful um, for you to use throughout Advent. And it's kind of a collection of scriptures and uh, a prayerful reflection. It's called the Examine. Christians have been doing it for hundreds of years. And it's a reflective practice to just become a bit more aware as you look back over your day of how God was moving, even in those moments when you didn't, didn't notice him, weren't aware of his presence. And so maybe for you, that would be a helpful tool. And I'd invite you to stop by the hub on your way and grab one of those or go to the practice section of our website. We'll never do any of this perfectly, right? And that's okay, because it's not about earning God's favor or his love. He already loves us unconditionally. He's a God of grace. But we are invited to take some practical steps to just focus our attention on God in a world where there's all kinds of things that are trying to take up our attention. There's a quote by John Ortberg. He's an author that I really like. He says, the central promise in the Bible is not, I will forgive you, although of course that promise is there too. It's not the promise of life, life after death, although we're offered that as well. The most frequent promise in the Bible is, I will be with you. I'll be with you. God is with us during the high points of our lives. He's with us when things are going great, right? When we get the job, when our relationships are good, when there's food on the table, right? When we're healthy. And he's with us in the low points, He's still moving. He's still present when things don't go the way we want them to go. When we suffer, when we struggle, when we feel alone, when we feel lost, God is there in all of it with us. He's present. And he's with us in the boring moments. When we're doing all that tedious day-to-day stuff, when we're doing the dishes and taking out the garbage, all that stuff that drives me bananas, he's still there. He's with us, and there's an invitation for us to take those moments to actually live a life of worship and communion with him. God is present in all of it. He's active. He's faithful. He never leaves us or forsakes us. No matter how far you might walk away from God, the moment you turn around, he's always right there. Sometimes he calls us to take action. Sometimes he just calls us to rest in his love, he's always present and his presence makes all the difference. It gives us peace, it gives us purpose, and it empowers us to live out the story that God is calling us to live out in this world. So as we close up, I'm gonna read uh, from Romans 12 verses one to two. I'll invite the worship team to come on up and join me. I'm gonna read uh, from the message And then we're just going to take a bit of time to to reflect on what God might be inviting us to, to create some some space in our lives as we uh, close up. So Romans 12, verse 1 to 2, Paul says this. 
So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging it down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Let's pray, and then we're just going to take some space to reflect. God, we're so thankful that you're a God who is present to us. Thank you that your love is unconditional, that you're a God of grace. In those moments, God, where we're not aware of you, where we go our own way, where we've gotten the story wrong, you just invite us back to the cross. You invite us back to the reality of our redemption, of our reconciliation with you and our freedom the freedom to live with a sense of your presence and your peace. God, we thank you. Help us be people who represent your presence in this world.